Do you know that we have a free Childhood Cancer Facebook community and a free mental health professionals network group? Make sure to join through the links in the summary. If you haven't taken our PTSD after cancer quiz, make sure to check out the links below. Get added to our list to receive free resources to help you heal from the impact of childhood cancer. Be the first to know and we will offer EMDR intensives and support groups for teens, parents, and adult survivors of childhood cancer. Hi, and welcome to today's episode. Before we jump right in, I wanted to just to quickly come in and say hi, I'm Adriana. And if you could please hit subscribe to this podcast, if you have listened to my other ones, and you've enjoyed some of the resources that I put out there. And if you could also kindly rate this podcast, I would love a five star review, but you know, you rate it as you feel I have earned. So if you could please Subscribe and submit a review and share this with anyone that you feel would benefit from Family Chemotherapy Podcast. Thank you so much. Welcome to Family Chemotherapy, where we discuss ways to cope through a pediatric cancer diagnosis. I'm your host, Adriana Lewin. Hello, and welcome back to this podcast. Today, I'm super excited to introduce to you a good old friend of mine, someone I've met through the childhood cancer community and just uh, have had the pleasure of collaborating several times. And it just felt like it was the right fit to do an episode so we could talk to the famous Rosaria Kozar with Living with Anxiety podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today, Rosaria. Thank you so much for having me, Adrienne. I was, you know, just so happy to hear from you when you asked me to be on the on the podcast. And thank you. Yeah. And I for, forgive me because I do have a cold. It's that time of year. So I apologize. Well, I just appreciate you taking the time. I know we've talked about this in the past. And I, you know, as many of you know, I did go a little MIA because I needed to do a lot of uh, self-care for me at the time. And so I'm just really excited to come back and um, finally get to this, to this interview, because I just feel like you have a wealth of information that you can help other families go through. So, um, thank you. So Rosaria, tell me a little bit about yourself. For those who don't know you, um, just tell us about yourself and how you're connected to the childhood cancer community. Absolutely. So, um, my name is Rosaria Kozar. <laughs> I run the podcast Living with Scan Anxiety, childhood cancer podcast. I know it's a little redundant, but just so people know that it is about childhood cancer. So um, I got into the childhood cancer community when my son, uh, Brody, who's no longer with us, was diagnosed uh, back in 20, ooh, mm-hmm. that was a long time ago. Um, I want to say 13, 14, 2014 and, um, with aviola rhabdomyosarcoma and he passed in uh, 2015. He went through just about everything. All the other kids do. Everybody's journey is different. So I, I don't want to sound, um, like, uh, I'm, I know what everybody else goes through. Everybody's story is different. But uh, he did radiation, he had amputation, of course, the port was put in, um, feeding tubes, um, 
the chemotherapy, um, obviously, and he um, did uh, immunotherapy as well. Okay. And so I came to know everybody. Um, I just want to do full circle here because I kind of stopped at that short little story. So I decided afterwards um, when he passed, you know, I spent my time grieving and I said, well, I got to pick up a job. I got to move on. And, and in terms of that part of life. So I uh, went around for about five years dabbling here and there, um, decided I want to become a social worker. And in the time that it takes to get your MSW or master's in social work, and then you get licensed um, and find a job. <laughs> you uh, have a lot of time in between that and kids are getting diagnosed every single day and everybody's hearing my kid has cancer. And I said, what can I do in the meantime that doesn't require a license? Well, start a podcast. And I started a podcast and here I am today, started it back uh, uh, in 2019, right before the pandemic hit. Yeah. So did you mention, I, I don't know if you said how old Brody was when he was diagnosed. He, um, he was, he was having his third birthday in about a month. So he was, uh, 23 months, 23 months. Okay. So, um, my kid also had rhabdomyosarcoma and we just happened to come across each other in the community, but I really want to get down to, you know, in this interview, talking a lot about the mental health aspect, because I think the more we begin to, and I hate saying the word normalize, but the more we begin to normalize the impact that it has on us mentally and emotionally, I think is when we really can help each other start finding ways to to cope better during the process. So when your child was diagnosed with cancer, can you tell me a little bit about the emotions that you went through at diagnosis and just that emotional mental health journey from diagnosis through treatment and after? So initially we have that, you know, kind of wait time. Uh, mm -hmm. that everybody goes through. Um, oh, it might be cancer, but we can't be 100% sure. Unless, I'm, for example, um, your child has leukemia, you get the blood mm -hmm. test and it's pretty automatic. Uh, so for a bulging tumor outside the leg, uh, they can't say it is cancerous uh, without testing. Mm -hmm. So we were told it was a 98% chance it was cancer. Uh, obviously we, we hadn't heard, but at that point, when they said that it was, you know, it, it hit us, but it didn't really hit us the same until they did the biopsy and they said, your child has cancer. And at that point, uh, we definitely experienced anticipatory grief. We went home and crying and, you know, anticipating the death and um, his death, it was awful. And uh, strangely enough, my my next door, uh, my late next door neighbor, her grandson, um, who's survived, he had a 2% chance. Uh, she came over and she just shook me and she said, uh, look, Rose, you, gotta, you have a son over there and 
right now he's seemingly perfectly healthy uh and you know when you talk to another cancer parent you kind of know what that means they're not healthy mm-hmm. by any stretch of imagination but they can still do things and they're still kids mm-hmm. so uh, i just kind of woke up and yeah that anticipatory grief was still there but not to the same degree so i think it's really important to maybe start bridging a gap between uh your child has cancer and then um this is going to be how we're taking care of it and whatnot because that anticipatory grief hits so hard i wish that there could be some type of social worker or therapist or um someone on the psycho uh psycho not psychosocial but um psychological perspective and mental health perspective in that room with you and uh talks to you in a way that you know this is normal this is what it's going to feel like uh, it and this is what it's called like put a name to it so that's yeah that's what we experience first yeah i think I that kind of... go ahead go ahead i was gonna say i only know it's anticipatory grief now because of the work I've done after. And if I knew the name beforehand, I think it would have been a little bit more like, okay, this is normal. This is what I'm feeling. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, a lot of people talk about the first two months, they tend to kind of go like you hear commonly two to three months, they're in the state of shock or just severe depression or just that grief, right? Like, I think it's grief. A lot of people like to use the word depression when really what they're Mm -hmm. talking about is grief. And they're in this period of trying to make sense of everything that's going on, adjusting to new changes. And then after the two to three month mark, you hear people say, it took, you know, after then, you get into a routine and you just kind of move forward with it. Not that it becomes like easier, but I feel like maybe we just reach a certain level of um, emotional intolerance at this point where we're like, you know, I, I talk about this window of tolerance, like where you can stay with the emotion and reasoning and logic. But after a while, you either numb out, so you go down, you numb out, or you go into hyper arousal state, hypo versus hyper arousal. And so I feel like families often kind of, they're in this window of tolerance and then they go into one or the other stages after that. That's that's a theory. I'm just gonna throw that out there. It's just a theory. There's no science behind that, but it's just interesting that most of the families, when you're on, different board, like, you know, different types of, uh, communities, online communities and stuff like they'll talk about two to three months. And then, you know, you just kind of get used to the new norm or whatever. But, um, I go through like my own personal experience and I, I don't remember anyone really checking on my mental health or explaining any of that. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because you were, were you at the Dana Farber is that the clinic, right? Dana Farber in Boston? Yeah. Yes. And we have so much respect for them. They do mm-hmm. have social workers. And to be a hundred percent honest with you, it, 
I cannot remember if our social worker was in there with us because yeah. it was 10 people mm-hmm. and very intimidating. Um, but I think it should be something that's almost forced. And I don't think it was forced uh, in terms of telling us, you know, this is what you're going to go through psychologically. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to go home and this is what you're going to feel or there's a very high chance that you might feel this and this is how it feels. But, uh, it, it, and to speak what you say with the three month mark, that's if we're fortunate enough. Uh, we went into it blindly, like a lot of other people do, but I also want to pay respect to the parents whose children. And I do know, uh, through grieving groups and stuff that I've gone to, uh, there are children that didn't, respond to the therapy Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they found out their child had cancer and uh, before they could get into a groove or or whatnot Mm -hmm. they um do that second scan and there's there's no improvement or it's worse and they're given a timeline and for those parents i i think um my heart well my heart goes out to them and i feel as though that's not something that they're ever prepared for because yeah i always thought okay we're going to give them chemo he'll get better you know mm-hmm. i i knew there was the possibility of um, not becoming cancer free or no evidence of disease at the end but i not for a second thought okay we're going to sign sign him up give him the treatment and then have another PET scan and have it light up. And so for people Mm -hmm. that have that happen, my heart goes out to you. Yeah. They didn't have time, enough time, any time, you know, to just even, like you said, get into a rhythm, into a groove. And it, it was just grief, then truly anticipatory grief of like, okay, like this is it. Mm -hmm. So when you, um, Think about your time during treatment and all in between, like before and after all of that. Um, what do you feel was your biggest, one of your biggest struggles when it came to your mental health? Before treatment and during? Or from diagnosis, during, after, what was, what was your struggle um, well, I would definitely say my biggest struggle came after when he, I don't know if you call it relapse when it's no evidence of disease. And then the next test is, uh, they have a tumor. Um, but I'll just use relapse for lack of a better word. Yeah. I think they yeah. use relapse for that. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Okay. Um, so I, that was the most difficult point. And, um, I, I you know, I, I told myself, I said, okay, I know that he's going to pass. And I know that this is going to happen, but I was in total denial. Um, looking back on it, I was in total, absolute denial that I was ready for it. And to this day, I have trouble understanding, I guess, biology and how somebody can be seemingly um, okay and and then two two or three days later incapacitated and then passed away 
Um, maybe that's naive of me. <laughs> it is naive of me, but I, I just, I struggle with understanding how the, that can happen. And I guess maybe because it's a child, but then I looked back on pictures of him and this is where it really got me. As I said, I was just blind. He looks sick. And, and my mom took me aside and said, you were looking into his soul and you loved him. And um, I'm going to hold back to tears, but uh, you loved him. And, and that's why you didn't see it. And that's why you were so surprised because he didn't look healthy. He looked sickly. And I would say I didn't really look back at pictures for a long time. But then when I started looking at them, I'm like, yeah, he did. And I think you, I just kind of grew with the sickness. So, mm -hmm. um, and then when he passed, I just, it was a complete uh, just reality check and uh, understanding um, you know, how fragile life is and understanding that and coming to terms with it. That was the hardest part. It sounds like, I mean, one of my next questions was going to be, did you ask for help? And did you know about your struggle during, but you kind of talked about being in a state of denial through it all. And um, it's like that self-preservation, right? Like, no, things are going to get better or you're looking at your child. And like you said, like, I think for an outsider, it's easy for them to take a look at our child and see the pictures and say, wow, they look really sick. Like when I look back at my kid in chemo, yeah, he looked really sick because he was, he was sick and he was in treatment, you know? Um, and you're almost, it's not desensitized. Um, I don't think the right word is desensitized, but essentially like this is what you're seeing every day. So it seems mm -hmm. normal to you. Like you see the, you know, the decline and you can take a look at them and be like, wow, I know that they're sick, but I don't think it, I think it's more of a, we don't ever envision or imagine like mm -hmm. we kind of do, but we don't allow ourselves to imagine that our child is so sick that they're going to pass away. Right. Yeah. Maybe it is desensitization and not being naive. I, I don't know. I don't know, but I just, I wasn't ready and I thought I was ready. And, um, not ready as in like just knowing that it was going to happen. Yeah. When you heard there's nothing else, um, what do you feel was the way that you coped through preparing to say goodbye? I hope I worded that correctly. Does it sound like English? <laughs> like, <laughs> I had thoughts in my head and fragments. So does that make sense? Does the question make sense? Yes. And even if it didn't, I, I think I know what you mean. So um, the first time we were told, you know, came back and it's not responding and, you know, it's in a place where it was radiated. We don't want to re-radiate um, because it's not even responding to, to treatment and it's growing mm -hmm. at such a rapid rate. Um, I mean, the tumor when he died was popping out of his body. It was mm -hmm. significant size. So um, 
and it was his abdomen. So when I say popping out of his body, it's not like a limb or anything. It was mm-hmm. his abdomen. Um, so when I heard those words, there's nothing else you can do. My, my uh, husband searched around for different things. And that's when we started immunotherapy. Um, and that gave us extra two months. It seemed to be semi-promising. It really started slowing down the growth of the tumor. And they said, we need to see it stop growing and then we'll make that decision on radiation. But uh, it just wasn't. And then he got to the point where we had a uh, set. I guess we wrote down boundaries or limits where we're going to stop treatment if X, Y, Z. And those were the, he had to be able to do such and such in a day we didn't want him to live in misery uh, mm-hmm. for and, and have multiple surgeries and and whatnot with the chance of still not a high chance of mm-hmm. still not surviving because the chance was already high that he wasn't going to survive so we had to make that chance that decision and that was very very difficult even writing that on paper but then we were just blatantly told you know it's gonna Mm -hmm. stop we already had a hospice um uh we had Notre Dame PD pals and they are out of Worcester Mass so they uh helped us um during and with music therapy and art therapy and all these other child life therapists and stuff and it was fantastic uh, but then they also have like a hospice program. I want to call it a program because it's separate from uh, that portion of their program. And we really benefited a lot from having him at home. And mm-hmm. I think he did too, because the whole family was there and everyone they cared about was there 24 seven. Um, he would wake up with them and go to sleep with them. And then he became incapacitated, but people could go into the room and um, they say you could hear. Uh, I don't know if I'm avoiding your question, but I um, I guess when I heard those, I, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm avoiding your question because uh, I'm still like in denial. I don't know. I feel like I'm avoiding it. Am I avoiding it? I'm wondering I if just... there's, if there's, I was actually going to ask you like, you know, it kind of comes down to like how you coped and it almost sounds like you went into the survival mode where maybe like, were you able to allow yourself to feel emotion during that? Did you lean on, I mean, some people lean on substances, right? Like alcohol, or some people have risky behaviors to cope through really stressful times, like engaging in, you know, I'm like, if it's, if there's a child in here, I would strongly suggest that you pause this essentially, but um, basically engaging in behaviors like sexual encounters, right? Just things that we gravitate towards as coping mechanisms. So I'm kind of curious, like you were going through a lot and were you able to, did you go to therapy? Did you take care of your mental health? Did you find coping strategies or were you just in that survival mode and just like, I'm not going to let myself really feel really deep emotions right now because 
it's just not safe for me to feel emotions right now. Like what was your coping strategy? My coping strategy uh, now that I've gone through um, my program uh, was, I think, more along the lines of what you're saying, just like head on. Um, But I coped, I guess, uh, just by laughing. Um, Things would happen and I would laugh, but it wasn't, I didn't find anything funny. Um, and, and the therapist was like, are are you okay? <laughs> and, um, see, I'm laughing right now, <laughs> but I, I guess, uh, kind of just this uh, replacing the crying and the fear and everything, uh, with laughing, not, no, not knowing I was doing that. Uh, but I was, and then I, it was pointed out to me and I said, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are telling me like medication schedules and then this might happen and that might happen. And I'm not laughing hysterically, but when they tell me something, I'm like, Oh yeah, let's get that done. Uh, and never once did I think anything was funny. Um, uh, but yeah, kind of just freezing. And then that became, you know, my uncomfortable things, people bite their tone, uh, toenails oh my gosh I hope nobody does Did they bite their fingernails <laughs> or bite their lips <laughs> I'm not one of those people anyways but, uh, they bite their lips or they might like you know um scratch their or you know yeah. do other pick things their, pick their nail beds and yeah, stuff yes pick pick or some um, people overeat right not eating enough overeat, eating too much alcohol. I mean that's yeah no I don't I don't do those things that's not really a coping skill for me. Sometimes um, I I find that uh, I I kind of just laughed at really inappropriate times. Yeah, that um, was a coping strategy. I mean, humor is a coping it defensive it is mechanism. A coping strategy, it literally is. Yeah. People do that. Yes. Yeah. So uh, they'll see somebody get into an accident somewhere and they'll start like giggling, but it's not because they find it funny. It's because yeah. that's their coping strategy uh so every everybody's different and i think that that's what i did and i made sure um and i continue today can you hear me i can <laughs> frozen mm-hmm. okay there my, you go my screen was frozen there we go um i made sure that uh i i wouldn't drink again um mm-hmm. not just out of multiple reasons and, and one of them being i said i never want this to turn into a coping yeah. skill ever I, because it does kind of numb you and feel happy and mm-hmm. whatever i i said i want to be able to control this on my own so i did see a therapist down the line um that that helped a lot was that after uh, treatment or during treatment or was that after i didn't, I didn't have time during after grief i guess after your son passed away right it was That's- after he passed away okay and, yeah I didn't feel like I really had time to go out and yeah. find somebody. I was yeah. home taking care of him all the time. And I just, I'm thankful for that time that we were able to spend together. It was, it was awful, but um, the times that were good were really, really good. So I, mm-hmm. I have those memories and um, yeah, so that's. And, and you Trans- did EMDR, right? I did, but not for this, something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I didn't, wasn't sure if it was related to your grief and just your experience. And 
I want to do that. Yes. Okay. The grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I highly suggest it for people, no matter what kind of trauma they've ever experienced, uh, whether it be losing somebody or um, going through another type of trauma to consider it. So, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer. <laughs> I'm like, you're also a EMDR. -er. I, I don't know what I you am. call it. EMDR <laughs> trained. Yes. I'm an EMDR trained therapist. So yes. I, I, congratulations. I Cause that's not Thanks. easy guys. Yeah. It's not. And it's... You do it. You do it over. Um, you can do it over the uh, internet. Virtual. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. Virtual. Cause I'm, yes. I, I only see clients virtually right now. It just, you know, when my kid went, um, after treatment, um, we were still slightly immunocompromised. And then I was like, I guess I'll start seeing clients. And then I just started working telehealth, virtual counseling sessions. And I've just kind of stuck with it. And I think, you know, after the pandemic, I think seeing how many people actually shifted into that virtual, um, therapy mode, um, I mean, just the amount of therapists that started doing that increase like exponentially. And so I do think that it helps families. Like if they are willing to go to therapy while they're in treatment, they can mm -hmm. now feel like, oh, people are actually doing this virtually. So I can be in my hospital bedroom or, you know, escape to the hall down the the way, right? Like to take this call or get into my car, or whatever, right? Like it, it's easier to navigate that um, virtually. So um, if you haven't sought out therapy, I highly recommend that as something that you try to make a priority. I know it's hard to say like, make yeah. this a priority, but um, we go through a lot as parents, right? Um, we're not only just paying attention to our own mental health, we have actually mostly, we don't pay attention to our own mental health. We're paying attention to the mental health of our kid going through treatment or the siblings, like how are they yeah. coping? How's everything impacting them? And so, um, finding that safe place to talk about it, like friends, it's, it's just different, right? Like there's a meme I see on a uh, Instagram where it's like, I don't need to go to therapy. I got my best friends. And it's like, uh, no, you and your best friends need to go to therapy like right now. <laughs> um, yeah, well, the problem with relying on a friend too is you, you're projecting your feelings onto them and that can be really hard on them. Mm -hmm. uh, we can have that counter transference kind of feeling where it almost makes them as depressed as you are. So if you're really, really friends with somebody, then chatting about it all the time um, is not good for them and it's mm -hmm. not good for you. So be a friend, get your own therapist. <laughs> <I know. laughs> so um, how do you feel you've been, it sounds like I'm doing the math in my head, nine years, basically eight years, right? Post-treatment or post-everything, right? Like post loss and how do you feel that your mental health is now like how has this impacted your mental health now oh well i've definitely come a long way my son would be 11 this year um and right now if anything i'm you know uh in a much better space 
than I was in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Firsts uh, for families going through grief the first time, firsts are the absolute worst. So, mm-hmm. you know, your first Christmas without or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or that time of year where you see everybody happy mm-hmm. um, or, or seeing a family of a certain size that yours was or yours should be. Um, those are, those are really hard times. Um, and, you know, I remember one time seeing uh, two brothers playing and it was the first time I ever saw that. And, um, and I just, I had to go find a corner in the mall and basically took my son and put him in my mom's arms. And I was like, I'll be right back. <laughs> and yeah. I just, uh, I just needed to cry it out for a minute and then I was fine. So those kinds of firsts and it that first came much later uh, yeah because i had my second son much later uh so you never know and things little things might hit you um in ways that you don't know uh you know so i don't think i i i view grief as kind of and i saw it written as, written as a diagram so this this little teeny thing like you've lost somebody right and then um, throughout the year, you just kind of go out away from that pain and then things will bring you back in. So there's a birthday or anniversary out and in and out and in. So this is like, you could survive and, 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 and thrive. And then you come back and you kind of need some time to yourself. And if you stay too close to that inner bubble too long, then you kind of need to, uh, step away from things. And I, I did find that, um, Last year, I, I really needed to kind of step away from uh, things and just spend time with my family and and away from the the cancer community. Um, and I feel much better now having done that. And I can kind of decompensate like this is that. And I, I keep that there. And when I'm doing other things, I don't have to think about it because I was on this a hundred percent or 200 percent 24 7 and i'm happy with where i am at it now and um you know that's a coping strategy too right yes i guess it is yes (laughs) getting busy and working and finding meaning in it it's that's a coping strategy that a lot of i do feel like a lot of people in the cancer community kind of go through that you know, hence the reason why we have so many nonprofit organizations that are started in honor of their family's experience or in honor of the loved child that passed away. And a lot of that is, you know, a coping strategy um, because you get mm-hmm. so busy of like, I want to make meaning. This is meaningful. Like I want to put my suffering into motion. Um, I'm guilty of it. I, I mean, I started, <laughs> I started this podcast like in the midst of treatment. So clearly I was, using this as my escape. Like I told my husband, I was like, no, I just need a process. And this is going to be my way of processing. And I'm like, no, this, I, I, after treatment, I was like, oh, hmm, I'm starting to see this, uh, pattern between grief and me getting really busy and (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be really productive and do some things and, you know, put meaning behind it and make this meaningful. And yeah. Yeah, that was my coping strategy was avoidance, mm-hmm. avoidance and getting busy. So um, 
So uh, well, it's good you took the time off because you did that. I did, and you I have an excellent take. podcast, uh, Family Chemotherapy. I actually interviewed you, and that was great. You Thank really, you. um, you explained a lot of things, and I think a, a lot of people got well. I know because I saw the numbers. Got a lot <laughs> of uh, <laughs> a lot out of what you had to say, so that's good. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, I I definitely needed that time off too. Where last year it just kind of came for me that moment of. I'm avoiding and I need to start mm-hmm. doing a little more inner work. And so, um, cause sometimes, you know, and this is what I tell people and what I tell my clients a lot is sometimes because of that survival instinct and the denial and we learn how to cope through mm-hmm. our situations, we don't realize how much it's truly impacted us until we have one more layer added. And sometimes it, it might be your relationship that starts to suffer, right? It might not even be your own mental health and anxiety. It's like, oh, well, I don't get along with my spouse anymore. And I just feel like, you know, I hear people talk about the two boats passing in the night or whatever, right? Like mm-hmm. um, it trauma will show up in different areas of your life because you cannot compartmentalize it. And um, Sometimes it just takes a while for it to just kind of sit there and simmer, simmer, simmer until it gets to the mm. boiling point where it just overflows and it's just staring you blankly in the face. It's like, hey, you've got to deal with some stuff. Yeah. Um, so on that note, um, what do you wish other people knew about the impact of cancer on you? Like during, for you, you have a during and you have an after, right? So. Um, what do you wish people knew about the impact of childhood cancer on you? Well, I would definitely say, um, that's a good question. And I think where I would go with that is what I see going with other people too, is it changes you. Um, and you don't come out the same on the other side. You change, um, not the same person I was, I I look at life differently. I approach things differently in terms of um, uh, standing up for not only myself, but my child in ways that I wouldn't have if I didn't go through this experience because you're forced to do that. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do it, you're not going to get anywhere really. It's bad not to do that. And if you're mm-hmm. listening to this, make sure you stand up for your child at all costs when you're going through treatment. So I have a much easier time doing that. Um, I think one downside is, um, you know, and sometimes I've become a little bit more um, bitter to mm-hmm. um, life as well. Like, it's not fair. This isn't fair. But if I look at the grand scheme of things, I would say no one's life is fair, right? Mm-hmm. We all have our own problems and issues. You could use a hug, a hug a day. So um, uh, maybe that's a good topic for my next therapy session. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. You brought it up. <laughs> uh, take a side note here. No, um, but yeah, so I, I think it's just, changed me um 
And, you know, uh, part of grieving the loss of somebody, you also have to grieve the loss of yourself and who you used yes. to be. So, yes. So uh, that's been huge and, and difficult. Because yes. I, I used to be different. And if you sat there and asked me how I, this would be a much longer podcast. <laughs> I know, girl, me too. I mean, that is, I think that's one of the things I had to come to terms with this last year was, who am I? <laughs> that sounds like that deep existential question, but like in all seriousness, like I've changed what parts of me from before treatment still exist. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. What parts of me do I need to grieve? Yeah. That no longer are there. And what parts can I actually still mm-hmm. bring back into the picture? So that's, um, I mean, that's a big topic right there, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, from there, I guess, uh, what would you tell the younger you? If you could go and, t- you know, present you go back into the past and tell younger you something, what would you tell younger you? Okay, so let's pretend I'm talking to 15-year-old me. Um, (laughs) Excuse me, I told you I had a cold. Um, I would tell the 15-year-old me that, um, uh, you know. um, Well, I'm going to stop you there. I had this all planned. No, no, I'm going to stop you there. I want you to go back to almost 10 years ago, you, when you're sitting in that waiting room, waiting for an answer, what would you tell that younger you? <laughs> Thank you. Cause I was like, I don't know what your age should go back to, but maybe 15 is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you start high school and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So, um, yeah, that's much easier. And man, I've, I'm much older. So, um, I'm not going to tell your listeners how old I am, but I'm much older than, than that me. Uh, I think I would just say that um, definitely not things, just be kind to yourself and give yourself um, grace and um, and also understand that everybody's story is different. So I don't what? think, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You don't think. No, 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 go. I was no, done. No. Okay. I'm done. All right. Um, and my last and final question would be what words of wisdom would you like to share with the audience? Oh God. All right the Buddha in me. Um, (laughs) so, (laughs) uh, let's see. No, I would say to the audience, it depends. Like if their child's in diagnosis, I'll try and and do like, you know, you just started and and things are kind of going, you know, cancer's Mm -hmm. shrinking. Um, so, uh, or depleting, I don't know what happens for leukemia, I guess depleting. Um, I don't know the the proper terms for that, but, uh, I I would just say, um, uh, I always had this, uh, make, just make every moment count. 
live for small moments, write them down and, and make memories, take pictures, uh, take videos, um, do anything and everything to remember the good. And if you're a person that in order to remember the good, you have to write down the bad, then you can do that. But I suggest not letting cancer win. And one way you can make it not win is by um, just keeping that out of the existence, so to speak, of of the memory books and the pages and, and whatnot. Um, I, I don't enjoy whatsoever going back and, and watching him come out of um, the, the, the procedures or, or even the pictures where we were, you know, in, in a hospital room and he was having fun. I don't enjoy those moments watching them. I enjoy watching the moments where, you know, he was at home or surrounded by family, or even if he wasn't the hospital room surrounded by family, that's better than, you know, just him opening a gift. Um, so long story short, just live for those happy moments and gosh, write them down if you can't take photos. Um, make sure you always back up the photos. I know that sounds silly, but we lost a bunch of photos. So always have yeah. them in multiple places. And uh, expect the unexpected. And know that you're not alone. Reach out. Reach out. Accept people's offerings. Reach out. That's... Uh, a summary of what I can think of right now, but I've been asked this question a lot and I think I give similar answers every time. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and everybody's road is different. So the kid and family in the next room is not going to be going through what you are. So yeah, know that. Well, I really appreciate your candid answers and just your time and sharing your knowledge with you know, the audience, because mental health is, is the reason why I started this podcast. And I think people understanding just in conversation, hopefully they picked up something that they may have learned that you've done, or just the conversation in general that mm -hmm. they can take, you know, in their own healing journey to learn how to cope with this or to process the trauma or to find help to, move forward. I don't say move on. I keep telling people, this, this is like my big saying, like it's not moving on. It's moving forward in a way that honors mm. your experience. Um, you know, the way that you want it to be honored because mm. moving, yeah. moving on usually means you are still in denial. <laughs> yes, <laughs> You don't even know you're in denial. That's the whole point <laughs> of denial. And that you're just finding coping strategies to like, avoid dealing yes, with it so yes put it back there yeah yeah mm. where it's nice and safe tucked back here until it comes up to, you know and smacks you in the face and it's like hello it's time it is time <laughs> <laughs> so face uh, me <laughs> <laughs> so i really appreciate you though rosaria i you know I've, I've really enjoyed um our friendship and just getting to know you throughout the years and so i'm thankful for your time and your willingness to come on my podcast, um, Thanks to share your, me. yes. So, all right. Well, um, if you want to follow Rosaria, she is on, why don't you tell them your ways to get a hold of you, anything that you want 
to know to yeah. connect with the audience? Well, the best way to get a hold of me is on my website. Um, and that is www.livingwithscanxiety.org. Now, if you make an arrow and do.com, it should redirect you. But just in case, remember it's .org. And on there, you can get a hold of all my socials and um you can even contact me if you want to be on uh, the show. Um, we have really good ratings and you'll be heard and you'll be helping people. Uh, definitely, without a doubt, be helping people. So, um, and I, I do voice only, so you don't have to be camera. You can be camera shy. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Okay. Do you want to do a live on Instagram though? I'll be up for that too. Cause that's always, uh, you know, interesting and how it goes. And so All you right. let me know. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And, um, I hope that we continue to collaborate and I will definitely, um, add all of your information in the notes to this podcast so people can just click and link over. So thank yeah, you so much, perfect. Rosaria. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye. If you have found this podcast helpful or you just love the mission for family chemotherapy, please kindly rate this podcast. Also, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest for additional resources that I do share daily. Please tag and share your friends and other pediatric cancer families that you think would benefit from any of the content from family chemotherapy. Thank you, and I can't wait to share the next episode. Together, we can help heal the whole family.